Well, we're in the third part of our three-part series entitled, What Bugs You? And so um, we're going to finish this up today, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I'm going to start off with a, uh, an old saying that goes like this. It's the little things that bother us and put us on the rack. You can sit upon a mountain, but you can't sit on a tack. And that's true. I can sit on a mountain all day long, it wouldn't bother me, but if I sit on a tack, I'm going to be sure to know that that is there. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, we look at the nine fruit of the Spirit that uh, are really the fruit, they're really the personality traits of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in us, but it's really the, the, the qualities, the personality qualities of Jesus Christ. Let's read, if you will, in Galatians chapter 5, just as a review here, starting in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So those nine, those nine qualities of the character of Jesus Christ who, who modeled this for us as... Um, as he lived his life here on the earth, uh, are really what he desires to work in us and then out through us. Would you bow your heads in prayer as we begin our time of study here today? Father, we lay aside every distraction. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege that we have to come together in your name and to uh, celebrate you, to honor you. Uh, this is your day, uh, as is every day, but we've come together corporately as the body here, as your bride, to um, to learn of you and to really walk out what you would have us to walk out based on what your word says, not based on our opinions or what we think, but really based on what your word says. It's eternal, it's true, it's solid, it's a direction for us, it's true north, it leads us to life and, uh, and goodness and all the different things that are in you, Lord Jesus. So we want to walk in that victory, we want to walk in that effectiveness, we want to walk in the qualities of who you are, Lord Jesus, in our lives. So uh, again, we lay aside the distractions and we, help, we pray that you'd help us right now, Holy Spirit, to focus on what you would have us to learn here today. We invite you to minister to our hearts a truth that will change our lives forever, to equip us so that we can walk out of here knowing, first off, that it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Secondly, that we can walk out of here equipped and renewed and strengthened and helped and encouraged and in every way being more effective for your kingdom to a lost and dying world. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do here today. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. And all God's people said amen. amen. So these nine fruit of the Spirit are really things that we can apply to our lives as it relates to people that bug us. I know that most of you in here don't have anybody in your life that bugs you, right? Nobody. Everybody, everybody gets along with everybody. Everybody just loves everybody. There's not a thing about anybody that... that bothers you. Am I correct? Wrong. They all, uh, there's somebody, and you might be even sitting next to them. Lord, please don't let that be. But you might even be sitting next to someone who every once in a while, they may just mildly irritate you or possibly completely bug you or somewhere in between. But that's what this is all about. And the Lord gives us these, really these tools to be able to walk out more effectively and, uh, and more beautifully his character qualities in our lives. So it's really, I think it's funny how we can rejoice in the Lord. We can sing how great is our God and all these wonderful things about the lion and the lamb and sing high praises to him on Sundays. We can enjoy mountaintop experiences. How many's ever had a great mountaintop experience with the Lord, right? Yeah. And we, we can live our lives knowing that Jesus is in our hearts and, 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 and that we're saved. 
And yet we can turn right around after we do what we've done here, and as soon as service is over, the first chance we get, we're biting someone's head off. And I don't get that, but it happens. But the fruit of the Spirit, the character qualities of Jesus Christ, are how he lived on this earth, and he modeled it for us. We see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and other sorts of stories that are throughout the, uh, the New Testament. And it's really how he expects us to live out towards others as well. So, as I said, he modeled it for us. And so, what he's doing now is he's actually, as we invite him in to our hearts, he's actually living them through us. Because I, you, we cannot live these fruit out in our own strength. We just can't love like we need to love. We can't be patient like we need to be patient. We can't be kind like we need to be kind in our own strength. It's very limited in what we have as a resource. But Jesus in us is unlimited in that resource. And so that's where we're tapping into to say, all right, Lord, it's not just come fill me, but also flow out from me in these nine fruit so that I can be more like you and less like me. And so, as we've seen every week, they all start out vertically. It comes from him to us, and then it extends out horizontally out from us to others. And they're all, by the way, as, you've, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, and then we'll look at it again today, they're all to help lead us and also to lead others to repentance. There's things in our lives that we need to repent from. Awful words, awful thoughts, awful habits, awful things that we do that are just opposed to God's word. There's sin in our lives. And these fruit help us to walk in repentance towards him and then helps others as well to walk in repentance as we model. I want to real quick look at this first six uh, that we've covered the last couple of weeks. The first one is love. Remember, it's agape love. It's that foundational fruit that everything else is built upon, all the rest of the fruit. Uh, it's the highest of all loves, by the way, agape love. Uh, it's a love that seeks out others best. Listen to this. Even if they have our worst as their goal. That's a hard kind of love. I love you even though you hate me. I love you even though you're, you're wanting to harm me. I love you even though you have the worst intentions for me. I still love you. You see, this kind of love is not a love in return. I'm not going to love you because you love me. I'm going to love you regardless. I'm going to love you, period. I'm going to love you even in spite of your hate towards me. That's the kind of love that Christ had when he hung on the cross, wasn't it? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He just loved, even though they hated and they had his worst in, in their minds. Uh, but that's what agape love is. Now, that's hard to love in our own strength, isn't it? Someone who has your worst uh, has your worst intentions in their mind for you and in their heart, we're called to agape love them. I can't do that on my own strength, and neither can you, but Christ can through us. And that leads them to repentance. So there's that one. Joy is the second one. You can go back and review this more thoroughly in listening to my messages uh, either on our website at connectedfaith.com or also on the Faith uh, Facebook page, Faith Assembly uh, Facebook page. The uh, second one is Joy. Um, it's a strengthening fruit. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's a celebration of what the Lord has taken us out of. Think about what the Lord has taken you out of. Doesn't that give you a joy, what the Lord has taken you out of? That life of sin, that life of compromise, that life before Christ. Thank God for his rescuing, huh? It brings us a great joy. Also, think about where you are in Christ right now. I mean, think about what he's doing for you, how he's protecting you and providing for you and helping you and healing you and strengthening you and guiding you. All those things, it gives us joy. It's not 
a temporary thing. It's not based on our circumstances, but it's a joy in whose we are in him and how we are in relation to him. We're saved, and we're in him right now, walking with him in a relationship. And then it also brings us to joy for the future because we know where we're headed, amen? He's got a place prepared for us in heaven. It's a blessed hope that we look forward to. One day in heaven, and I believe very soon the Lord's coming back. And he's going to catch us all up in the rapture. And we're going to experience these wonderful things that he's prepared for us. That gives me great joy. How about you? In spite of all that's going on in the world today, I have joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Third thing, third fruit, peace. That peace, not a peace lover, because we can love peace all day long and not make peace, not have peace. Because in order to have peace, we have to really make peace. That's why it says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. So peace is an effort that we take. But it's hard to make peace with others in our own strength. Because we just want to bite their head off. Because they bug us. So the fruit of the Spirit is in us. The fruit of Christ that says, I will make peace. First off, I'm going to make peace with God. That's just making sure that your relationship is right with Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the best kind of peace. But then also, and that's a perfect kind of peace, but this kind of peace here is kind of imperfect because we have to deal with people and, you know, their responses and all that. But I'm going to make peace, and I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to make peace, and he helps me through that fruit of the Spirit. That's the third one. Fourth, patience. Now, remember patience last week, we defined that as faraway anger. I think it's interesting that the word patience, the definition of it, in that definition is the word anger. <laughs> it's faraway anger. And remember last week we talked about we place Christ-like compassion, we place godly grace, and we place agape love between us and that anger that we eventually want to act out on. But we put so much stuff of the Lord between us and it that we keep bumping into it and keep bumping around in it to where we can't even get to that anger because we have so much compassion. We have so much love. We have so much patience. Uh, we have so much uh, 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 grace that we extend to these people that are just bugging us. And we just want to be angry at because they're just doing stuff that's just messing with us all the time. But no, the fruit of the Spirit provides for us an opportunity to have far away anger. It doesn't deny that we have anger, because we do get angry, don't we? But it just puts it so far down the road, and we put so much of God's stuff in between us and it, that we can't even get to it. And that's the goal. And that's what the fruit of the spirit of patience helps us to do. Kindness and its partner goodness are the other two from last week that we learned. It's where we extend concern towards others in acts of selfless deeds that are the best representation of Christ in the world that desperately needs Jesus. And all of these fruit are meant to point people to Jesus and to lead them to repentance. Now, this week and the last several weeks, I've had opportunity firsthand to interact with folks from this church towards others in this church and also out in public. I've seen it happen. So get ready. I'm going to uh, step on a few toes here. I've seen the struggle, though, in your lives. I've seen your struggle to adjust. I, I preach my heart out. And then the very next thing that I see is not, it's just the opposite of what we're talking about here. So I understand the struggle. I understand this yielding, this, this, this hard, it's hard to yield. It's hard to allow the Holy Spirit to take the reins of our hearts. And, and this is what happens. We justify and excuse these times because we say stuff like, well, it's just the way that I am. I've always been that way. That's a cop-out. I know that. That's why we have the fruit of the Spirit, to help us change, to not be just like we've always been but that we can be something that we've never been, maybe, and that is more like Christ in those areas. So stop, stop copping out and excusing it away. Maybe you use the excuse of, you just don't understand how difficult that person is. Yeah, yeah, I do. 
I understand how difficult that person is. That's why the Lord has given us the fruit of the Spirit, to be able to say, wait a minute, I can't stand this person right now. But Jesus loves this person. Jesus has compassion for this person. Jesus has grace for this person. Jesus has agape love. And so I'm not going to act out the way that I feel about this person right now. Don't use that as an excuse. Maybe you say, I was just tired and I was in a weak moment. Well, welcome to the human race. We all get tired and are in a weak moment, but that's an excuse again. Sometimes you need to count to 10 or 100 or 1,000 or whatever you need to do, but keep your mouth shut. Remember last week, we have two ears and one mouth because he's told us to listen twice as much as we speak. And sometimes you need to step back and just count to 10, take a breath and say, okay, I'm just going to let the dust settle here and I'm not going to act out of my my flesh, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit flow out from me and be more Christ-like. We can come up with all sorts of excuses as to why we blow it, and we blow it, but the bottom line is, is we really haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to take the reins of our heart, and that's what I want to encourage you with today is if you're just picturing yourself as kind of a, you know, a horse or something, and there's some reins that are there, right? Let Jesus Take those reins and steer you and help you. Let him take the reins of it instead of being a wild stallion that just does and says whatever he says and wants to do. Now, we've had opportunities to either blow or to grow. And I know some of us have grown and also some of us have blown instead of grown. But God wants us to grow. So, hopefully, we'll grow more and blow less. That's the goal. It's not... We'll never blow again. We will. But let's grow more and blow less. Turn to someone and say, I want to grow more and blow less. Say that. That's kind of a tongue twister, but I think you could do it. You see, God's going to give us other opportunities to grow. He will. In fact, he must give us other opportunities to grow. It's the only way that we can die to ourselves and to live to be more like Jesus. That's why these things happen in our lives. It's not so that we can just blow our top again, but if we can just stop and say, okay, wait a minute, this is another opportunity here. How am I going to respond this time? In the spirit or in the flesh? Am I going to grow or am I going to blow? Let those be those opportunities. Let the Holy Spirit bring you to a place of clarity to say, wait a minute, here's another opportunity. And then move in the direction of being more like Jesus. We really need to let this be something that we keep in front of us and grow in every single day and every single moment of every single day. So I'm hoping that the truth I'm sharing is helping us. You see, my job is to plant and water and trust him with the increase. So I'm I'm trusting that as I speak these truths out, that the Lord will take these truths and plant them in fertile soil and take root and be fruitful in our lives, including me. So let's let him increase in us, amen? Let's let the soil of our hearts be receptive. Take root, grow, be fruitful in the fruit of the Spirit becoming prominent in our lives today. I know these are tough to live out. I, I get it. I struggle as well. And we can't do it on our own strength and ability. But if nothing else, let's, let's, let's glass half full this thing. If nothing else, we can see the last few weeks have shown us how far we have to go, how ill-equipped we are to handle this in our own strength, and how dependent we must be on the Holy Spirit to help us be more like Jesus. Because the fact is our flesh will not die easily. It's been used to being in charge, but it must die. And the fruit of the Spirit must rise up in us and live through us to lead others to repentance. So 
Let's add the last three today. These really should stand on their own. I was, as I was putting this together this week, I thought, really, all three of these are their own separate Sunday messages. So I'm going to give you a lot this morning because I'm going to try to do all three of them today. But I want you to take down some notes, if you will. Um, get out a pen, piece of paper, if you haven't already. And we're going to add the last three today on our list First vertically and then out horizontally from God through us to others. So the first one is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Write this down. Now here's a definition of faithfulness. You don't have to write down all these words, see what sticks out to you. But the biblical definition of faithfulness is this. Steadfastness. Firmness. Lasting loyalty. I love that one. Trustworthiness. Fidelity. Dependability. That's faithfulness. By the way, the opposite of faithfulness is wishy-washy, fickle, ever-changing, disloyal, undependable, untrue. So as with every fruit, we see God modeling this for us and how he treats us. Lamentations 3, verses 23 through, or rather, verses 22 through 23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We've, there's a song, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. That's where that comes from. That song comes from that scripture right there. Just put to music in a beautiful reminder of how God is so faithful to us. So here we see the foundational fruit of God's agape love. Guiding him in his faithfulness towards us. He has agape love towards us. Amen? And thank God for that. That he doesn't just zap us, but he's faithful. Now, by the way, we're not 100% faithful to him. Sometimes we're wishy-washy, we're fickle, we're not dependable, unfortunately. We fail him. We're inconsistent in our walk because, again, our flesh loves to be in charge. And we really deserve to be consumed by God's perfect judgment, but thank God we're not. One amen, the rest of you are like, I'm good. As, as we are reminded last week, hey, I, I can duck really good. I just do this. And he, oh, you missed again, God. No, that's okay. As we were reminded last week, the Lord is patient with us, having compassion on us, pouring out his grace and his love. And he desires to lead us all to repentance. That's his goal for our lives. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't treat us the same way that we, we treat him. Amen. While we're inconsistent in our faithfulness towards him, he never fails us, never. Psalm 119, starting in verse 89, says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. I love how this scripture ties his faithfulness to his word. As you're holding that Bible in your hands today, I want you to understand that the words that are in that book are eternal they're faithful, they're true, they're unwavering. You can count on them. What he said 2,000 years ago when it was written, 3,000 years ago when it was written, however long ago when it was written, it still stands today. What he told you 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago in your life, even though it hasn't come to pass yet, he's not a man that he would lie. It still stands true today. If he promised it to you, you stand on that promise because his time is not our time, and our time is not his time, so we're going to trust in him, right? Because he's faithful. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie. He, 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 he's not a human being that he should change his mind. 
Does he not speak and then act? Does he not promise and then not fulfill? He does. What he told you, what he's written in his word, we can count on. We can stand upon it because he's faithful and because he's true. Now, people lie. People change their minds. People break promises. People don't follow through. But God does not lie, does not change his mind, does not break his promise. And I'm so thankful that God always follows through. God's dependable. God is trustworthy. God's track record in the world and in my life and in your life and in all of our lives is a testimony to this. God is 100% faithful. He's never failed us, and he never will. Even when it seems like he has, he's still faithful because we haven't seen the big picture, and we have to trust and wait on his timing. We can count on God because our God is faithful. It even speaks to this in Hebrews 13, 8, speaking about Jesus Christ, who is part of the Godhead. He's God just like God is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and not just tomorrow, but forever. He's the same. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is consistent. It's dependable. It's trustworthy. It's certain. It's true. I'm so thankful that in an ever-changing world that we serve a never-changing God. Amen? That's how he models it for us. And this is how we need to be towards him. Be faithful to God. God, help us to be faithful to you as you're faithful to us. Uh, Folks, don't deny God. In your workplace, in your school, in your interactions with people, are you a Christian? Don't avoid that. Don't be afraid to stand up for God. Don't deny him. Don't put him on a shelf somewhere and pick him up on a Sunday morning as you're headed off to church and then stick him back up there as you get home. Don't put anything or anyone else before God. Don't serve him on Sundays and ignore him the rest of the week. Stand firm for him, stand firm with him, stand firm in him every day and in every way. Be faithful, be consistent, be dependable, be trustworthy, be certain, be true, and then walk it out in your day-to-day towards others. That's the horizontal part of our spirit-filled walk. I want to give you some practical ways to be faithful. I want you to write these down. Real simple steps. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly, but I'm going to do them in order. Okay. This is how we can be faithful. Write these down. Number one, be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. Do what you say you're going to do. Do what you say you're going to do. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Be a person of your word. Don't be fickle. Don't lie. Do you say one thing and then do another? Or do you say one thing and then do nothing at all? Be a person of your word. That's a practical faithfulness. Be on time. If you say you're going to be there, be there. And if you're going to be there, be there on time. Or even a bit early if you can. Something about that. Being there on time. Number three, be dependable. If you say you're going to do something, don't let other things get in the way of it. Don't push it aside and let it fall by the wayside. Don't, don't let it start at number one and end up number five or number ten and let other stuff get in there. Be dependable. That's part of being faithful. Here's the next one. Be consistent. It's a daily track record of faithfulness. All these things to do, you're doing it every day. And you're doing it the same way every day. 
You're being dependable every day. You're being on time every day. You're being a person of your word every day. Be consistent. Here's the next thing. This is another, I'm giving you like 10 messages today, okay? So whatever you can get out of any of this stuff, go and take it and be, be, be more like Christ in this. Here's the next one. Do it with excellence. Not so, do it with excellence. Do it with excellence. Don't be sloppy. Don't do it half-baked. Don't fudge. Don't kind of barely make it work, okay? Do it with excellence. If you're going to do it, I just can't imagine, if we're going to do something, why do we do it half-baked? Do it in such a way, here's a good rule of thumb, whatever you're going to do, do it in such a way where you, where you want someone to do the same way for you. Right? It's kind of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So in other words, if you're doing a job for somebody, if you're working for your employer, if you're doing something for you know, a loved one, a friend, or whatever, don't just slide in there and slide out. Do it in the way that you would want someone to do it for you. Would you want someone to do it with you, for you with excellence? The answer is yes. I know. I know it is. So do it the same way. And finally, here's the last one. Finish it. Finish it. Follow through. All the way to the end. Don't leave halfway through it. Don't walk away from the commitment. Just finish it up. Wrap it up. Cross the T's. Dot the I's. Say, here's the keys. It's done. And walk away with your head held high saying, I've been faithful to that practical thing that I was doing. This is just practical faithfulness. Don't lie. Don't change your mind. Don't break a promise. Don't not follow through. Don't be wishy-washy and fickle and ever-changing and disloyal and undependable and untrue. You know, there's an old saying that comes to brushing your teeth. I remember this growing up. I think my dad used to say this a lot. Don't give it a lick and a promise. Just don't give it a lick and a promise. Which means that I'll get to it better next time or eventually, but right now I just don't have time. By the way, dentists love that phrase. Because they will get rich off of all the cavities and other dental work that you need to have done because you just keep giving it consistently a lick and a promise. Here's what we need to do. We need to brush our teeth, don't we? <laughs> all the teeth that God's allowed you to keep in your sweet little head, brush them, okay? Brush them, dudes. Floss them. Get it done. And not just with your teeth, but in all that you do, do the same thing. Be excellent. Brush your teeth. Don't give it a lick and a promise. Be excellent. Be faithful. Colossians 3.23 says it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And see, there's that heart posture, right? And that's really the reflection that we're trying to be of Christ because it's leading people to repentance. They see your work ethic at your job. They see your work ethic in your schoolwork, all the stuff you're doing with your studies. They see your work ethic at home. Your kids are watching you. Your, your spouse is watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Man, do it right. Do it all the way. And do it as unto the Lord. Because when you do, people will come to you and say, ah, oh, there's something different about you. And that way you can step in and say, well, that's because I have Jesus in my heart. And it's a good testimony of being faithful. Be dependable. Be faithful. Don't let it be said of you, they can't be depended upon. Oh, what a, I, I would never want anybody to say that about me. By the way, this is huge as it relates to your marriage too. I want you to um, not be a promise breaker. That's part of being faithful. You spoke out your vows on your wedding day for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. 
sickness and in health until death do you part. And some of you is like, well, that should be arranged pretty soon because I just feel like killing them, you know? But that's not what it's talking about, okay? It's a natural death, not, on you, not by your own hands. I, I, I don't break the promise that you made to your spouse. Be faithful. Part of that definition of faithfulness is lasting loyalty. I love that. There's this lasting loyalty that carries you through your years together for better or worse. If you're wearing your wedding ring today, and if you're married, I want you to just look at that wedding ring right now. Just look at it for just a moment. Don't look at me or around. Just, I want you to just stare at your wedding ring for just a moment because I want to talk about that for just one second. That ring on your finger is a symbol of your faithfulness to your spouse. It's a circle that represents the lasting, never-ending faith you pledge. You see it's in the shape of a circle. So there's no beginning or end to that ring right there. So that there's this lasting, never-ending faith that you've pledged to your spouse because that's what that ring is reminding you of. Also, if you look at that ring, for most of us, it's made of this really special, precious material. It's kind of an incorruptible sort of material, precious metal. And that precious metal is a representation of how incorruptible that the vow that you made to your spouse is all about. So there's this lasting, incorruptible, imperishable faith that you've committed to your spouse, and I want you to look at that ring the next time you feel like that that person that you're married to is just bugging the hound out of you. And say, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to break a promise. My love for that spouse is lasting and imperishable. And that's what that ring is there for. It's not just a pretty piece of jewelry. It's there as a statement to the world and as a statement to your spouse. I'm going to be faithful. So be faithful. Okay? All right. Let's look at the next one. Gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness by definition means being fit for use being fair, and being meek. Now, meek. In fact, some versions say meekness. You might have in your Bible, instead of gentleness, it might say meekness. Now, before we go any further, I want to define what meek means. I've preached on this before for some of you. For some of you who are newer here, let me just remind you of what meekness uh, means. Because meek rhymes with weak, doesn't it? And so when we think meek, we think weak, we think you know, soft and mamby-pamby being kind of a pushover, that's not what meek means at all. Meek doesn't mean weak at all. Meek, meekness, it means strength harnessed. Wow, write that down if you don't know that. Strength harnessed. It's kind of like, uh, again, going back to that uh, example of a horse. A wild stallion without, without uh, harnessing, will just run around. A lot of energy, a lot of strength in that wild stallion. That's why they call it horsepower in cars. You know, it's just a lot of power in a horse, right? And it takes a special trainer to take and harness that strength. And in fact, back in the old days, hundreds of years ago, a person who took a horse from a wild stallion to something that's more useful, was, it was, they actually were uh, described as they were meeking a horse. Did you know that? They were meeking a horse. In other words, they were taking the strength of that horse and they were channeling it to a productive purpose in end. Not just wild running around, but strength harnessed. That's what meekness is. 
Let me give you a couple of examples of that. And that's really what gentleness is. That's what meekness and gentleness, gentleness is, is, is strength harness. Take this big, strong dude, for example. Take a big old picture, picture of a big old six foot five, you know, broad as he is, tall bodybuilder, a tough lumberjack type. You got the kind in your mind, you picture him, just, you know, that, like that brawny dude on the paper towel commercial. It's just like, wow, he's a man's man. He's strong, calloused hands, rugged look, intimidating to the eyes. You think, okay, I want to be his friend when I'm walking down a dark alley in a dangerous part of town. He's just he's my buddy, and it's going to be fine. You know, he's just a big dude. But you put him in a situation where he experiences maybe a child being abused or maybe a loved one passing away or some other sort of difficult thing in his life. And this man doesn't explode in a destructive rage even though his outward appearance would, you would imagine that he would just kind of explode in vengeance. Instead though, he sheds a compassionate, heartfelt tear. Maybe he steps in and he helps sorrow at the, time, at the news or at the loss. He steps in and does something productive he takes his strength and makes it something that's valuable. You know, we have the old phrase that says, tough men aren't supposed to cry or be gentle like that. That's not true. This burly man is actually exemplifying meekness. He's exemplifying strength harnessed. He doesn't need to prove his strength. He's got it. But he can also take that strength and do something helpful and constructive with it. That's what gentleness does. On the other hand, take a tiny little cornered cat with its back arched up. It's hissing. It's exposing its fang teeth and out comes the claws. You don't want to get close to that, but the reason it's doing it is because here comes a gigantic grizzly bear. So a tiny little cat and a great big old grizzly bear. The cat is completely outmatched. So it reacts in the only way that it knows how to, to survive. And we kind of do that. You see, without the fruit of gentleness, when people bug us, we default to our flesh and we lash out. We lash out in uncontrolled anger or in irrational behavior. We're just hateful and mean. But as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we can be more Christ-like and we must yield to the Holy Spirit so that we can be more Christ-like. What we can do is we can allow the Holy Spirit to harness that strength and we can channel it for God's purposes to build up, to help, and to heal when needed. Gentleness is actually an interesting fruit because it's really a mixture of a few things here. Gentleness is a combination of the foundational fruit of the agape love. Then we want to add some patience to it. We want to add some kindness. And then we want to pull in some humility. We mix it all together and it creates gentleness. Jesus modeled this for us in a lot of different ways. But I'd like to point out to you one in particular that's found in John chapter 8, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders, let me just set up here. The religious leaders brought this lady to Jesus, seeing how he would handle this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And so Jesus, as you know, he ignored them at first. He was just writing in the sand something. And then he finally responded by saying in John chapter 8, verse 7, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped back down and continued writing in the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, just Jesus and the woman. Still standing there, Jesus stood up, straightened up, and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where's your accusers? Uh, she said, no one, sir. And then he responded, neither do I condemn you. 
Go now and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. I find it interesting that the, the very criteria that Jesus um, had in that let he who has no sin cast the first stone, Jesus actually, by his own criteria, could have picked up the stone and threw it at her because he was the only one there that had no sin. He had the justifiable righteous right to do so. But he didn't. He's that big burly man in our uh, example. He treated her gently and he treated her with compassion. He harnessed his strength and he channeled it in a helpful and healing way towards this pitiful and vulnerable lady. And there's people in our lives, whether they be our spouse, our children, our co-workers, our neighbors, our classmates, whoever, that are in the same way. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's this big, burly, muscle lumberjack of a man uh, that Jesus was in the sense of his strength, but he doesn't use his strength and his authority to be harsh to others. He doesn't use that strength to, to be mean to others, but he's gentle, he's kind, he's loving, he's caring. Jesus lived a life of meekness. He lived a life of strength harnessed. And it was solely for the purpose of redemption to mankind. Think about what he said, his last statement. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. In other words, repent. His main goal in coming to this earth was that he would die for our sins and that we would repent of our sins and that we'd be restored back to right relationship to God the Father. We now are those uh, representatives of his, ambassadors. So now, therefore, we live that life in such a way where everything that we do is not out of hateful, harsh, condemning, but we're gentle and we're meek and we bring people to the foot of the cross and we point them to Jesus in everything that we say and do. Being gentle is very attractive as you're pointing people to Jesus. The gentleness poured out on us, and thank God he's poured gentleness out on us. Amen? has as its goal repentance and out of that vertical pouring in he calls us to pour out towards others for their repentance this fruit of gentleness makes us fit for use for the kingdom without gentleness folks we're just a useless mess we're harsh we're abrupt we're callous we're mean we're sharp with our words we're hateful with our actions we're cold we're unjust we're cruel like I've just described a lot of what's going on in the world today and you might be sitting here saying, yeah, and some of that's going on in my house too. God help us to be gentle towards our loved ones. God help us under the roof of our home to be gentle towards our spouse, our children. Ugly swear words and angry shouts and harmful actions destroy and forever change the destinies of those who are the recipients of these not-so-gentle words and actions. You probably have had some ugly things spoken over you in your life. And it took you a while to get that stuff out, didn't it? You know how that feels when somebody speaks stuff over you like that, acts towards you in ways that are not gentle. So now if you know how that feels, then why are you doing it to others? I guess because hurt people hurt people, but God, heal us of our hurts, right? so that we can be gentle into other people's lives. I think you'd agree with me that Jesus is not a harsh and ugly person. But here's the thing, if he's living in us and we know that he's gentle, then why are we this way more times than not towards others? These 
ugly, harsh, hateful ways. And here's why. It's because we haven't yielded to the fruit of gentleness of Christ in our lives. We opt for the ugly. We opt for the hurtful flesh. And really, we've gotten used to it. We justify it just like we justified some other things earlier. We say, well, people are ugly to us. I'm going to be ugly to them. Tit for tat. Or maybe it's the only way I can get my point across. Or maybe, again, I'm just in a weak moment or whatever. Again, we, we, we just have this list that's a mile long of how we justify being ugly. But it's time for us to stop and get sobered up to realize that, wait a minute, God's not called me to be ugly. He's called me to be gentle. And I can in my own strength. I've proven that out because all I can be is harsh and impatient and ugly. So, Lord, I repent and help me to let the fruit of gentleness to come out from me instead. The fact is, it's just easier and more satisfying in the moment to be harsh and ugly. Or maybe we're just blind to it. Or maybe we've done it so much that we're just invisible. It's just invisible to us. Start at home. Start at home. Open up our eyes, Lord, to see the errors of our ways. Are you opposite of gentle to your spouse? Are you harsh and rude and impatient and ugly towards them? How about your children? Are you opposite of gentle to your children? What about your friends? Are you opposite of gentle to your friends? What about at work or school? What about total strangers? Are you opposite of gentle towards them? As people bug you and you yield to your flesh, you will act out in ways that are opposite of the representation of Christ in you. Maybe let's check our hearts here. Because Jesus had... Every right to say to us, God, zap them when he was hanging on the cross. But instead, as I said earlier, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was gentle. He cut them a ton of slack. He cuts us a ton of slack, doesn't he? How about let's cut others a ton of slack? Vertical slack, vertical slack, vertical gentleness, Horizontal gentleness, right? Yeah. People get under our skin. They'll bug us. Sometimes they do it on purpose. They just know how to punch them buttons. But I think most of the time they're just not walking fully in this spirit in their own lives. They don't even have Jesus in their hearts maybe. And so we're the recipients of their ugly words and deeds. It doesn't mean we need to return it in kind. The fruit of the spirit of gentleness will help us to walk in fairness and meekness kindness and love towards those who bug us. And it'll be a constructive sort of gentleness, by the way. It'll make you more attractive to others. It'll make you more approachable to others. And they know that they can trust their hearts into your hands and you won't stomp on them or give them a good old whack. Which brings us finally to our last fruit on the list, and that is one of self-control. Again, these all three could stand on their own as far as messages, but try not to give you too much of a fire hydrant sort of approach here. So whatever the Lord's laid in your heart and just sticks out to you, just write it down. And by the way, don't write this down and then talk to your spouse or your child or somebody else later and say, you need to do what the pastor said. They don't, you don't need to be God to them, okay? The Holy Spirit's speaking to their hearts right now, okay? So self-control. Self-control means mastery. It means self-restraint. It means temperance. Self-control kind of defines itself. It means to control one's self. God restrains from pouring out his wrath on us for our rebellious sin. That's self-control. Thank you, God, for that, for being self-controlled. Because we deserve to be zapped. Oh, mercy. Sodom and Gomorrah, he needs to apologize to him if he doesn't do something to us, right? Yeah. Jesus modeled this for us a lot of times, again, in the, in the Gospels. But here's one that I want to uh, 
this is really what comes to my mind here today that I feel like that we can read and it would help us. In Matthew chapter 4, it's the first 11 verses. It's when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus before his public ministry began. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No kidding. 40 days and 40 nights, I think he'd be more than hungry. So he was weak at that moment. He was really physically struggling. So keep that in mind. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, Say this with me. It is written. Say that again. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil said, okay, I'm going to take you to this holy city. And he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, what? It is written, do not put the Lord your God to a test. (laughs) Satan finally said, okay, again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I'm going to give you, Satan said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. I love how Jesus just used the word, to come against the temptations uh, and helped Jesus to keep his perspective. All these things Jesus had dangled in front of him, but Jesus restrained himself, didn't he? He had self-control. He kept the big picture in front of him and he stayed focused and he said, no. He knows what it's like to be tempted, in other words. How many has ever been tempted in this place? Sure. Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, not some ways, not most ways, not a couple of ways, in every way he's been tempted. So anything you've been tempted in, he's also been tempted in, in every way. No stone was left unturned in the sense of him being tempted. He knows what it's like. Yet he did not sin. Good for him. So then we could step into that grace now because we know in our temptations, man, we, we mess up. We fail. We fall into it. So as we yield to the fruit of the spirit of self-control, it'll help us to say no to the things that will harm us, and it'll help us to say yes to the things that'll bring us life. So what are we to control ourselves from is kind of the the question that we ask. As we've been here in the last few weeks, we face a daily battle between flesh and spirit. Our flesh wants to live without restraint, to be free to do and say and be what we want to do and say and be. This gets us into all kinds of trouble, by the way. It seems the most common temptations to mankind are greed, love of money, unhealthy sexual desires, cravings for power, position, and other sort of fleshly indulgences. And we can spend the rest of our lives hearing people's stories of regrets and wishful do-overs from not living a life yielded to the fruit of self-control. I'm sure we would all have testimonies multiple times over. And I can give you all sorts of examples of people and situations, but I really don't need to because I think what's happening right now is each of us today are thinking of our own unique examples of how we've not walked in self-control, but we've given in to the flesh and to the temptations whether it be overeating, overspending, addictions, or acting out in moments of passion or anger or lust, 
you name it, these moments have long-term ramifications that have as its goal our destruction. Satan is out to steal and kill and destroy us. In fact, you might even be in a place right now where you're in the midst of living out a temptation that you've yielded to. Your lack of self-restraint has gotten you bound. You're in trouble. You're in a trap. Satan said it and you've gotten snared, but I've got good news for you today. God can rescue you from that if you'll repent right now. If you'll turn from your wicked ways. He can free you from that addiction, from that that you're bound in. And he can set you on a path that leads to life. And he can help you then to build a protective wall around your, around your heart, around those temptations that are there. Just like a wall that's built around a city to protect it from danger. Listen in Proverbs 25, verses, verse 28. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So the scripture <clears throat> equates a lack of self-control to a city who have walls that have just crumbled all around. Now, if you read the Old Testament, walls were very important in the Old Testament. They would build this impressive and hard-to-overcome wall to protect the inhabitants of that city against any um, enemies. They would also set watchmen on the wall. So they wouldn't just build the wall, they'd put a watchman on the top. But then they'd also, because the watchman would see the danger coming from afar, they'd also set judges at the gates to determine if that person... Even though they may look okay, they're going to interview them. They're going to uh, research this thing out. They're going to discern whether that person has harm before they even let that person come through the gate. We would be wise people to do that same thing. When we invite the Holy Spirit to build a wall of self-control around our hearts and our minds, in other words, our emotions and our thoughts, and then we set the Holy Spirit as a watchman on those walls to see the danger that's coming from far away. And then we set him as a judge at the gate of our hearts just to make sure, yeah or no, we can be more effective in our walk with the Lord. And we can often head off those temptations at the pass. How many has ever tried that? Yeah. And by the way, it's not a one and done thing. Okay, I got the walls built, got the watchman, got the judge, I'm good. Now I'm going to move on my merry way. No, we daily set a guard. We, we daily yield. We are keen and we're alert 24-7. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a daily thing. And we inspect the walls periodically to make sure that there's no weak spots. There's no breaches where there could be, uh, you know, the, the invaders coming in. No toll holes. We see the danger at a distance and we head those dangers off at the pass. We discern the disguises of the enemy at the gate and see through that charade of what they're cloaking themselves to be. We recognize the Trojan horses maybe that are even allowed to come in and they're living there inside of our hearts. They're looking like something good, but inside there's death, there's destruction, and we need to be careful. It's a race that we run that will only be completed when we see Jesus, so we must stay diligent. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get that prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run. This is now, he's pivoting. Paul's saying, now I'm not running like someone running aimlessly. 
I don't fight like a boxer beating in the air, just hoping I hit something. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Self-control. The spirit, the fruit of self-control helps us to pull back and see the big picture. Like a runner running a race, training for this race. They push back on the daily lifestyle choices. They push back on the daily temptations that will diminish their chances to get the ultimate prize. We also should push back and say no to the temporary. We should push back and say no to the flesh. We should push back and say no to the sinful cravings and pleasures that Satan offers and keep our eyes on the prize of the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Living a life with no regrets means that we yield to the spirit of self-control, not just in our own lives, but towards others who bug us. We don't tell them off. We don't get revenge. We don't walk in unforgiveness. We don't use and abuse them. We don't shun them or belittle them. We don't treat them harshly. We have self-control. We control our tongues when we're talking about them or to them. We control our actions of anger towards them. We control our thoughts of ugliness and hurt towards them. Instead, we walk in the foundational agape love of God. And then we add some joy, some peace, and some patience, and some kindness, and some goodness, and some faithfulness and gentleness to the mix, all guided by the self-control of the Holy Spirit. If agape love is the foundation... And enjoy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and generous are the walls coming up from it. I feel like that self-control is kind of like the roof. It covers it, and it binds it all together. And it just permeates all the way down through all of our other fruit. Again, being agape love, being the foundation. So church, let's keep our perspective here. First Peter 4, 7 says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be of sober mind so that you may pray. And if I might add, and that we can more effectively walk in the fruit of the Spirit and be an excellent representation of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Jesus is coming back. It won't be long. So let's stay focused on what we've been called to do. We're to preach the gospel. We're to be Christ to others. We're to point people to Jesus. We're to keep in mind that everything that we say and do and think is connected to a soul. I know people bug you, but guess what? You bug other people too. So it's time for us to get over ourselves, right? These fruit of the Spirit from God are poured out on us and then are to be poured out from us towards others, which then should point those people to Jesus. By the way, starting at home, starting at our residence with our spouses, with our children, and then radiating out from there to a lost and dying world, schools, workplaces, restaurants, places that we go. Let it be today as you deal with the waitress or waiter who's waiting on you when you go out to eat. Be gentle to them. Be kind to them. Be patient with them. Be loving towards them. You don't know what they're going through. And the words that you say and the actions that you have towards that person have consequences. So let's make sure they're good consequences. Right? 
with your spouse at home later on as they say or do something that just... Be gentle. Be kind. Let the fruit of the Spirit rise up in you. Second Peter, verses one, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So folks, let's stop being ugly. Let's stop yielding to the flesh. And instead, let's yield to the Holy Spirit. If you lack faithfulness, I pray that you'd yield to it. And be dependable and full of integrity instead of undependable and sketchy, wishy-washy. If you lack gentleness, I pray that you'd yield to it and allow your strength to be harnessed towards healing and helping and not hurting and being harsh. If you lack self-control, I pray that you'd yield to it. Build some walls around. Keep a watchman on the wall, judge at the gate. Keep them robust and not allow them to be breached. And if you're bound today, if you're bound in a sin today, if you're caught in a snare, if you're trapped, if you've given in to that temptation and Satan's got you where he thinks you can't get out, I pray that God today will set you free from your sins, set you free from your bondage and make things right between you and God today and let you walk a life of freedom and liberty and joy and peace and salvation, and glory, and victory in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? And I ask if you will to just bow your heads. And in fact, not just bow your heads, but there's people even viewing this at home. And, and I feel like that there's a sense that people need to step out and come to the altar this morning. Uh, I've been praying you know, from you guys being seated where you are, but today... Since this is the culmination of the series, if you're lacking love, that agape love, if you're struggling in some ways with you know, his joy, his peace, patience, kindness, goodness, if you need more faithfulness, if you need more um, gentleness and more self-control, if you've not yielded to these things and you're walking the opposite of them, I ask that you would, as an act of... Um, confession and also an act of I can't do this in my own strength so Jesus I'm coming to you today I ask if you just step out come to the altar and this is between you and the Lord and frankly I'm standing here too so all of us need help in certain ways and it could be little stuff and big stuff and everything in between I just ask if you just be honest with yourself. That's right, Lord, I, I, I'm struggling in this area. The fruit of the Spirit is not evident in my life as it needs to be in being gentle, in being patient, in walking in self-control. I need to be more kind. I need to walk in His joy. is peace I, is that anybody a few of us here today anybody else want to join in let's just do some business with the Lord 
I mean, you, you come for spiritual guidance and strength and help and encouragement. You're not going to get this anywhere else, but you come here today. So I, I just ask you to, and don't be afraid. Maybe there's a sense of, well, I'm afraid. First off, I don't want anyone to think anything different of me. So I don't want to be uh, judged. We're all in need of this. Uh, maybe you're just thinking, well, God can't really do something with me because I'm too far gone. I've made too many mistakes. Or, or maybe you just kind of at the point of, I don't want to say lazy, but just like, you know what? No, I like being this way. Well, God help us. Why would we want to be that way? I mean, frankly, not to manipulate this time, but it just feels like that everybody should be up here unless everybody's perfect and maybe you need to be preaching and I need to be here. I just don't understand how we can not be weak in certain areas and need the Lord's help. But if you're standing there and this is between you and the Lord, and again, I'm not trying to manipulate the situation, but I just want you to just be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. He knows your heart anyway. And I'm going to pray for the folks that are here. And this is an opportunity for you, whether you want to take it or not, it's between you and the Lord. I'm going to plant water. God's going to bring the increase. So, Father God, as we are standing here, those that are here at the altar today, they're being honest with you, they're honest with themselves. Maybe they're struggling in the area of agape love. They just have people just bug them and they just can't love like they need to. There's people that are against them and they're having a hard time loving them because they have ought, they have meanness, they have bad plans assigned for us. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to love them, not because they love us, but to love them, period. Because you love them, because you died for them, help us to love them. Father, we repent of walking in hateful feelings. We want to walk in your agape love. Let that be the foundation. Father, maybe we're walking in discouragement today. We're not walking in, in joy because we're, we're not allowing the fruit of the spirit of joy to remind us of where you brought us from, who we are in you, and where you're taking us. So, Father, help us to, instead of walking in the emotion of the day and the events of the day and the news of the day and our feelings and the circumstances, that's not going to bring us joy because those change. But your joy is everlasting and it's strengthening. So help us, Father God, to be reminded of where you brought us from, who we are in you and where you're taking us, and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Help us to walk in that joy every day, not based on how we feel or our circumstances, but based on who we are in you. We invite you, fruit of the spirit of joy, to come and take charge. Not just in our lives, but towards others. That we're not grumpy and irritable, scowling. Lord, let the joy radiate out from us to others and let it be attractive to bring them to repentance. Lord, also, we invite the fruit of the spirit of peace we would make our hearts right with you today Lord if there's anybody in this place that doesn't have you as Lord and Savior anybody watching here today may we make peace with you right now by saying Jesus forgive me of my sins come live in my heart be the Lord of my life we want to make peace with you but also Lord give us then also the courage to step in and make peace with those that have ought against us and that we have ought against 
that we would walk in peace. As your word says, if at all possible, in, in, in every way that we possibly can, that we would walk in peace with others. Lord, for those that don't want to walk in peace with us, that's on them. But Lord, we're going to do everything we can. Show us, Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit of Christ, how we can walk in peace with others. Lord, help us to be patient. Forgive us for being impatient. Oh, Lord, may the fruit of the spirit of patience, the patience that you exemplify to us, may we be patient with others. Forgive us, Lord God, for being impatient, short with people. We want to walk in patience towards others. Don't let the little things bug us. Help us, Lord God, to put a lot of grace, a lot of love, and a lot of compassion between us and our anger that we feel towards people. So that we just do nothing but bump up against your compassion and your grace and your love, and we can't ever get to that anger. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in your kindness and your goodness. Jesus, we invite the fruit of the Spirit of kindness to rise up in us we be kind towards our spouses, our children, our co-workers, our classmates, total strangers, people that we don't even know. That we would be good towards them because you're a good God towards us. You're kind towards us. Your kindness leads us to repentance. May our kindness that you flow through us lead others to repentance as well. May the goodness of God that flows out from us lead others to repentance as well. We yield to the fruit of the spirit of kindness and goodness. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Where we've been wishy-washy and fickle, where we've denied you and not stood up for you, where we've not walked with you. Father, you've been faithful to us. Help us to be faithful to you and then faithful to others. May we be dependable, trustworthy. May we have a lasting loyalty. Lord, as you have had for us, may we be for you and then also for others. Practical faithfulness in the things that we say and do towards others. Help us to be faithful. Help us to walk in your faithfulness. We, we yield, Lord God, to your faithfulness. Spirit of the Lord, fruit of the Spirit of Christ, come and fill us with your faithfulness. Father, forgive us for not being gentle. Father, forgive us for that tongue that's in our, our heads that's been so harsh and hateful towards people. Our actions towards people that have been harsh and unkind and, and just mean and ugly. Holy Spirit, we invite you, the spirit of gentleness, the fruit of the spirit of Christ, that you would harness our strength towards the purposes of being Christ-like towards others and all that we say and do and think to lead them to repentance. As you are gentle towards us, may we be gentle towards others and we can in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to be gentle through us. Let it begin with our spouses again, our children those in our household, those in our church, those in our workplaces and schools and everywhere. Help us to be gentle. Father, help us to stop excusing all this stuff away because that's just the way we are. We're in a bad mood or whatever. Father, we die to our flesh and we allow the Holy Spirit to rise up in us, the fruit of the Spirit, so that we can say, ah, yeah, I'm this way, but Christ in me is not. Father, help us to have self-control. 
Lord God, that we would allow you to take the reins of our life and that you would give us that way of escape and that you would help us to say no to the things that are temporary in front of us and keep the big picture in mind and not do those things that are destructive to us, harmful to us, that's bringing us death and destruction, that's binding us up. And Jesus, right now, for those of us who are trapped like a vice grip wrapped tightly with, the, with, with, the, with, with these temptations that have got us bound. I come against those things right now in the name of Jesus. Those things that have us bound, I speak the name of Jesus. I speak the powerful name of Jesus against those things that would try to bind. And I come against them and they would release their stronghold in every life. Spirit of alcoholism, I come against you in the name of Jesus. Spirit of pornography, I come against you in the name of Jesus. All, all these addictions and all these habits and all these things that have got us bound, that we keep falling into, I come against them in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord God, for deliverance and freedom from these addictions that have us bound, that we've fallen into, we've given into the temptation. Father, we repent, and we cannot get out of this hole in our own way. You need to throw down a rope, do it right now, and we're going uh, we're gonna to tie it around us, and will you pull us up, Lord God, and pull us out of this pit that we found ourselves in. Because your word says that he whom the Son is set free is free indeed, and we declare right now that these addictions are broken in the name of Jesus. These lifestyle choices, these habits, these sexual addictions, these chemical addictions, these other sorts of addictions are broken in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us self-control, that we would build a wall around our minds, around our emotions, around our bodies, around our lives, and that we would set a watchman on the wall, Holy Spirit, and that we would set a judge at the gates, Holy Spirit. May you be that watchman. May you be that judge. You keep us, Lord God, from falling into these ditches and these traps. That we would walk that straight and narrow path of righteousness and holiness and purity in you, Lord Jesus. So that others would see it and that would be led, that would lead them also to repentance. Oh, fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, rise up in us. We die to ourselves today and every day and every minute of every day. And when these opportunities come our way for us to blow, may you stop us in our tracks, Holy Spirit, and take the reins of our minds, our tongues, our actions, everything about us, and instead help us to grow in you from this moment on. And we thank you for these things.